Hi, this is David Clone, CEO and founder of the Holonai Network and director of their Behavioral Sciences Unit, and you're listening to the Holonai Network's Mindhunter podcast on Radio Haver. Haver. It's not easy butchering people. It's hard work. You know, there's a lot more like me. We're talking to serial killers. Serial killers! New terminology. Are criminals born, or are they formed? How do we get ahead of crazy if we don't know how crazy thinks? It's easier to ask for forgiveness than for permission. Welcome to the Hollow Nine Mindhunter Podcast. Okay, this will be the first official record of the Hollow Nine Network Incorporated's Behavioral Sciences Studies Group. And we are initially tasked with coverage of the Netflix original series Mindhunter, or as you will hear me, the director of the team, David Clone, of the Hollow Nine Network, referring to it as the season two of True Detective We All Wish We Actually Had. Um, joining me tonight <laughs> on this task force, all the way from, I don't know, at this point, it's been so many incarnations of 10 Minutes in Purgatory, it's probably more like two hours in Purgatory, but all the way from that podcast, uh, Miss Jennifer Earp, thank you for joining us tonight. Of course, I'm very excited about this. Um, all the way from Saloon 7 Studios and the better half of, or one half of the uh, Grit and Grace show, our good friend, Mr. C.J. Ripka, also known as Barry Baldoon of Tangent City. Hello, everybody. <laughs> and rounding out the round table tonight, uh, you've heard him as well on Tangent City, the, uh, n- I guess, non-intentional at first, but now the first of many big bads to come, uh, Dr. Paulson himself, Mr. T.W. Brown. How are you doing, sir? Outstanding. Well, thank you all for joining us on this journey into the show that every time I get somebody to watch it, they're like, holy shit, how did I not know about this? And that's exactly how I felt when I first saw the trailer on on Netflix. You know, like you sign on and sometimes they throw a trailer at you right away. And I was just like, what the hell is this? And the last time I felt that was Stranger Things. So I kind of felt immediately this was something that needed attention. Um, Let's go around the table real quick. What was everyone's initial impression when, like, maybe you had just seen the trailer, and then, let's say, when you got into the first or first two or three episodes there and kind of were feeling your way through the season? And, uh, Jennifer, why don't we start with you? Great. Awesome. Um, okay, so I've always loved just, like, the serial killer, you know, myth- ethos, whatever you want to call it, um, Genre. I don't really call it. It's not really a genre, but it could be. It's becoming you know, criminal one. Minds, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely that, becoming one. I think. Um, yeah, yeah. But then um, when uh, was it becoming a murderer was on Netflix? Making a murder. Is that this? Making a murder. Thank you, thank you. Um, that I got huge into that. Um, it actually got me back on Twitter. That show actually got me back on Twitter. So like when this Mine Hunter came out. I, I saw the trailer and I was like, well, yes, just yeah. It's like the beginning of the behavioral sciences. Yes, I want I want in on that. <laughs> so are we and like I think I watched the first episode and then got my wife to watch all of it with me and we were just hooked like right off the bat. So good. 
It's the cousin you never knew you needed to have come visit a lot, right? <laughs> it's a, of course. A yes. world where they didn't have the even concept of serial killers. It's kind of a well, just, time just, warp, just, you know? Yeah, and, and thinking about how like um, the police didn't think that psychology was a thing they needed to think about. Like That was so crazy to think about back then. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a different time, and even now, like, we can think of times that we've all experienced in our lifetime and how things are so different now. I love period pieces like this, though, so definitely the time travel aspect I found awesome. Mr. Rivka, what about you? First impressions? Uh, first, Well, first of all, I didn't even know this show existed until <laughs> you had put something out that about Mindhunter, uh, doing a Mindhunters show. And uh, so I went and I binge-watched like the first six episodes, like right then. I mean, I didn't even realize that six episodes had gone by. I just mm-hmm. got sucked into it so quick. And uh, by the by the time I got to six and well, actually I went through the entire season and this is the first time, even stranger things. I love that show, but this is the first time on any series. I was able to go right back to episode one and just start all over. And I just, it, and you catch something new each time you watch it. Uh, the fourth time now that I've watched seasons uh, episodes one, two, and three to get ready for their show, I was still finding new things coming out of those episodes that I had missed or overlooked or whatever it was. So, um, yeah, it was it's it's definitely something that spoke to me. Uh, the show spoke to me. Uh, the genre or the era. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I've I've, yeah. I've always been fascinated by the. I would say the adolescent era of the FBI. And I would say that this is what I would call the adolescent era of the FBI. It's shortly after Hoover died. So it's, it, there's not a whole lot. Uh, it's, it's in a, it's in puberty right now. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, uh, it's a great place to be with, uh, with the show. And Mr. Brown. I was trading shows with a friend of mine and telling them what I was watching and they threw that title at me. And so, since it was one of the weekends that uh, the wife and I didn't really have anything lined up, we were like, oh, okay, well, we'll give that a shot. Hmm. And I wasn't really sure I was going to be into it because I'm just not a police show kind of guy. It just doesn't do it for me. There have been very few that have worked for me. And uh, we kept watching and watching and watching. And to give you an idea, I mean, we get up around 2 or 3 in the morning here in this house. So bedtime is usually around 7 or 8. Um, hey, man, we all we have our schedules. Till, <laughs> oh, yeah, we were up past midnight watching. I mean, we, we kept okay. going and going. And a lot of times if we're watching a show, one of us will start to nod off and wake the other one up. And neither one of us were nodding off during the show. I mean, we were both just hooked. And, mm-hmm. so that, and that doesn't happen often. So. so for the um, for the folks who watched as couples, did this one rank on the if you Netflix cheat on me with this, I will fucking murder you in your sleep. Oh, I will become, yeah. oh. <laughs> I will be mind hunted after this. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Definitely did. <laughs> That's hilarious. I remember Breaking Bad Netflix cheating on uh, on somebody with that show. And I, I, that was the one I first realized that it was such a thing. I was like, oh, shit. Um, so uh, for all the single folks out there, this is definitely one you don't have to worry about that shit with. You could just stay up and not even sleep, go to work the next day and yep. just be like fucked up in the head from all the crazy. I mean, 
Uh, David Fincher directing <laughs> the first two hours. Uh, for all the people who don't immediately have the hairs on the back of their neck stand up at that mention, we're talking Seven, we're talking Fight Club, we're talking Zodiac. Um, and based on a book, but uh, it's Fincher's the kind of guy, I mean, Fight Club was based on a novel, and it's like if you read the novel, you get one experience, but Fincher has always got his his you know stamp his fingerprints although he's like nolan you know what i mean you know when you're watching a fincher project Mm -hmm. you know when you're watching a nolan project um i think you know maybe it was even a little unfair of me to say true detective so early in the show because i feel like that's actually a a thought i just had today for the first time so as i got ready to watch episodes one two and three back to back i watched true detective season one episode one before them because I didn't really think about it until now. Maybe that's one of the reasons I gravitated towards this show so much, because I loved True Detective. Um, are there other shows that come to mind before we start getting into the sort of nitty-gritty of the first episode that maybe this show is uh, a successor to that were maybe set up? I mean, definitely Fincher's movies. You can feel Zodiac all over this, for sure. You know, oh, yeah. The, the tone, the look, the style, the feel of it. Um, but you know, are we in an era where serial killer is a genre? What other kind of TV shows rank up there with you guys for this kind of thing? I I think for this one, it really sort of sets its own tone because you're talking about yeah. the, uh, the the Nixon era conservatism that was really prevalent in law enforcement, where there was so much exclusion and a real good old boys network and. That's not really popular to talk about in a lot of things because it does paint a bad light, but they didn't shy away from it. I mean, they Mm -hmm. had people who were dead set in their beliefs and their opinions, and it altered the way that they would run an investigation, you know, and this really sort of peels that nasty scab off. So I think it really sets its own tone to go towards more of a realistic encapsulation of what our history was like. And taking the law enforcement aspect and saying, this is how we did things. And we had no idea what we were doing. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. that's that's admission of ignorance. And nobody likes to do that. Well, and also, I think. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, CJ. One of the things that fascinated me so much about this, it, it wasn't even the crime aspect so much. It wasn't the law enforcement aspect. It was the sciences aspect. So when I look at it from that, I mean, there's so much here that's that's uh, playing a part, you know, like the sciences, the law enforcement. So you're going to have a bunch of different people gravitate towards something like that. Well, the only other show that that I can think of which really kind of dove into the sciences this way, that kind of this kind of it doesn't remind me of it, but this is almost like a, a prequel to what comes later on in, in the 2000s and stuff like that. And that's that show Lie to Me, where he was, oh. was using uh, micro expressions nice. to catch criminals. Yeah. And um, Tim Roth too, because okay. was it was Tim Roth? Uh, yeah, he, yeah, he, Tim Roth. Yeah, I love. So Tim Roth. You're you're kind of at the beginning of the sciences, and that show was more like the 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 climax of the epic. You know, this is where the sciences led to. Mm-hmm. The only thing I was going to say is that I think the strangest thing for me is that it's such a crime show, but there's literally so little violence in it. It's just all talking. Yeah, like, but it's so like. You're just like on the edge of your seat the whole time with just people talking to each other. That's all that's happening. It's the the real world. Yeah, it's the Tarantino effect, but with like David Fincher meticulousness. I mean, you almost feel like, Mm -hmm. you know, in a lot of the first episode, 
we see Holden teaching classes, and you can kind of get that feeling of one of the people in the classes who's like, okay, for two seconds, this was cool. Then I realized you were still talking. Like, Jesus, yeah. dude. <laughs> like, you take monotone to a new level. Um, yes. But that comes yeah. after what I have to say to me is one of the most epic cold opens of a new show for me. That oh, The wow. first sequence of episode one um, where where holding comes in and you know it's it's the perfect setup the perfect visual analogy for what this show is going to be like the old brute force style of a an older don't tell me how to do my job style cop with a bullhorn literally threatening the guy like don't make me come in there we're gonna fucking come in there you know and they're like dude the guy's already got a shotgun to people's heads what the fuck is the matter with you and and it becomes that hold on let's just try and get on his level and talk to him like a human um how did did this what were your sort of uh feelings when this when this sequence concluded itself because that was uh that was definitely a, a a feat of cg unlike any i've seen on any other networks really i felt like netflix really has been putting a stake in the ground with uh being balls out with stuff like this like whoa that was epic it was so intense that i i literally that was not the ending i was thinking for i was like okay they're just gonna like it's gonna be happy and they're gonna get him out of this and then like the ending of that cold open i was just like like I, it made me expect that for the rest of the season, mm. and it like never like that was just like the high point, and then and then it just like, it was, like it just like stayed just a little bit lower, but the whole time, but it was just like, what is happening? Is this gonna happen again? Yeah, like it was insane. It was so good. But that opening sequence set the stage for all the opening sequence in the series. So pay attention to that. That yeah. That, that, oh. Yeah. Oh my for god. Sure. <laughs> they they really built a good beginning and ending formula for each episode i mean they they really you could take just the beginning and endings and watch those and have it be its own little you know it's its own little thing and i i that opening sequence for me it was like it's like walking into somebody's house as a guest and getting slapped in the face (laughs) the rest of the night you're going to be watching to see what's coming next you know i mean it was like all right uh, you have my attention now i jump i jump jump I was like, okay, this guy, now he's going to hold the thing to his head and he's going to threaten to kill himself if he doesn't get to talk to his wife. No, he doesn't no. threaten anything. He just, boom, it is, I jumped. Yeah. yeah, and I think it was even from the sound effect of the gunshot was so prominent. You know, the the sound design in the show is is like, and I think this is why I think people like Fincher and Nolan have to be compared to each other all the time because they're the ones who will take the time to design the subtleness that really is subconsciously completing this world for us because you kind of know that you're going to be in a universe after that sequence ends. You know what I mean? You are pulled into the, the whole feel of it's this guy trying to shine a different kind of light. There's all these other lights already behind him. There's already this established protocol taking place and he's just trying to edge in with something new And unless you have full committal, I think that's what I was left with is that it's still going to wind up with not the uh, not the best of results, not the best potential results you could get. I mean, I think in a in a regular procedural show, they would have captured that guy and this would become case one of the sort of criminal mind that they're dissecting. 
And what it did was this was the inciting incident that's literally put him on a journey because after this they put him on the road teaching classes right and he even not, referred yeah. to it as being put out to pasture not quite if you really pay attention to what happened there though uh it was a, it was an example of success versus failure in the in the mind of the fbi uh in that next sequence you see, you hear how he's talking to to the chief and he literally says hey this is a success we didn't lose any hostages and, but you you can tell he doesn't feel that in mm-hmm. that, that uh, sound effect that you're talking about that shotgun blast it actually comes up three more times in the show and you can see his reaction to that to that effect uh, two of them are shotgun blasts one of them is a backfire so you, you start paying attention to those little nuances and how that affected him and why he started going towards the backroom boys uh, side of the house versus the negotiator side of the house. It, it really kind of sucks you in pretty deep. So you get a little light on PTSD before we had a name for it. Right, right, pretty the, much, yeah. Yeah, there weren't names for a lot of the things they discover. There wasn't even the name Serial Killer. I mean, that uh, in itself yeah. is uh, amazing that there was a time that that, that, that wasn't a term. Um, and I love how the, the rest of the next parts of the episode are all very much like that. They're like these coincidence crossroads that are really these these incidents that keep pushing him further along the journey. You know, it's like he's teaching a class, and as he's walking out of his class, he hears the end of another class, and it's this other professor who's talking about the things that he has been picking up on. You know, I mean, like you were saying, CJ, where the the chief kind of was like, "Hey, look, you know, you did the best you could. This was this is what we go for. You know, just the bad guy died. It was you did nothing wrong." But go teach classes. We're going to keep you off the road for a little while or off the front lines for a little while. And he was the one who was in that meeting trying to say, like, look, that guy was he thought he was invisible. He was talking to people that weren't there. There's something about that that we need to start looking at. And they still had him, you know, not even delving into that. And here's this other guy whose classroom is full of people like standing room only. And he's talking about Son of Sam. He's just like, it's like, why the fuck does he get the cool assignment? You know what I mean? Like, that's what I, I've been seeing that firsthand. I had the next Son of Sam on that porch, and he blew his head off. We don't get any of the benefit of this. But if he didn't go out for the beer with him, then he wouldn't have met the girl that he winds up being his girlfriend either. So it's like there's all these things that are all these little connection points that um, yeah. probably fall into the formula, but I find them awesome. Those are the things that I love about the way a journey like this goes. It well, I love how realism. smart he is. Yeah, and I love how smart he is about, you know, there's this group of people that became prevalent around that time that they were just strangers killing strangers. Like, that's what he was like. He was like, why is this happening? Like, yeah, we know that, that lovers kill each other and we know that next door neighbors get in fights and squabbles and they kill each other. But why is this random person just walking up to a car and killing people? Like, why is this happening? And nobody's questioning it. Like, yeah. that's the kind of, like, inventiveness that, that made this so great because he's like, let's take this beyond and see why this is happening. That's what I loved about it. Now, do we get the feeling like that this world legitimately didn't have this kind of phenomenon happening or is it that it wasn't being labeled and it was just being written off as like, oh, that just falls under this thing we would call crazy, you know, all across the board. Yeah. I think it's like when you talk about a red car and all of a sudden that's all you see are red cars. You know, I mean, and I think what happened was Mm -hmm. they weren't looking for this before. They weren't seeing this as 
because nobody could imagine or envision people going off on this level. But yeah. once they started finding it, they started realizing we've got a system full of these people. Mm. We just didn't have a name for them because you remember the big dude that they do a lot of interviews with later on. And, and yep. so, you know, I mean, this stuff was happening. We just didn't have names for it then. Yeah. You know, because I, I felt, oh, I'm sorry, CJ, go ahead. I didn't want to catch you. I was going to say the science of psychology, I mean, it had been around for over 100 years at this point. However, this is the same, uh, the, the same science, though, that has been. It, it, it's like what we're going through with the computer generation. It was new, but yet it's constantly evolving and they're finding out new things all the time. So really the FBI in, in their position is, well, this isn't a proven science. We're not going to really put a whole lot of stake in it. And uh, up to that point, when they're dealing with the murderers that the FBI are dealing with are people like Machine Gun Kelly and Bonnie and Clyde and the, the gangster type killers that are, it's pretty easy to label them. They are just pissed off, frenzied killers. And uh, that's that's what they put all these people on. And when, when we start seeing the 60s and the effect that things like the Vietnam War had on people, and and the, we're, now we're starting to see a whole different mentality and a whole different mindset. A lot of these serial killers, if you look at them, they had, uh, they had so many things that were going, that kind of led up to it, whether uh, some of them... Now, I'm not talking about the ones specifically on the show, but they, they found cases where people had tried to get into the military because that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to go and kill people. Mm. But they had to put them away. And then later on, the FBI is chasing them down and, and arresting them for committing murder here in the United States. So uh, <laughs> all this kind of plays it together and it kind of, you know, into what the FBI's thinking is. It's like, oh, no, no, that, that's people aren't sick yet. They're still. It's still only the gangsters that are doing it. Yeah, it was yeah. very 50s. Everything is the uh, quintessential ideal American vision, American dream has was like still kind of held over at that time period. I mean, part of me in rewatching this, because I did rewatch the entire season right before I was like seriously like, okay, posting, let's get this thing on the road. People are downloading us and we don't have enough content out there for them yet. So <laughs> listeners at home, this one's for you. Everyone's for you. That's what the Hollow Nine <laughs> Network's all about. Um, but I, I kind of started to get this feeling and maybe this is where the sort of uh, similarity yet also difference between True Detective is. I mean, if you wanted to make a case, if there was a conspiracy theory kind of mindset looking at this, if we are talking about a period where maybe this was happening, but it just wasn't prevalent enough to even be a blip on the radar, what if it really wasn't happening and it just kind of, this is the beginning of the phenomenon? That's where someone would come in and say, well, what kind of new medications were hitting the market at this time mm. period? You know, you Chris already brought up the, the Vietnam War playing into, you know, into the sort of changing of the psychology of the country. I mean, these days we would immediately be looking at the medications and what kind of, what kind of pollutants are coming out of car fuels. You know, there would have been this whole sort of other way, (laughs) which way they didn't have yet. Right. So, I mean, there, but there had to be something that was kind of filling that void at the time that we didn't realize. I mean, one of the things I thought that was super telling and one of the things that really kind of makes this show a little on what I would call the smart side. Like, I could see some people maybe being a little taken aback by how much you have to pay attention 
and how much you have to mm-hmm. kind of really connect dots. But when they're watching Dog Day Afternoon and you see the varied responses of people when first when Holden's watching it with Debbie after he meets mm-hmm. Debbie, which we kind of skipped over. We should talk about his meeting Debbie. But when he's yeah. watching it with Debbie and how they have one sort of response and dialogue about it and then when the other students in his class are watching it and how they're more like laughing at it and not taking it seriously and even chris sarandon's performance in there the way he was describing uh, a psychologist telling him that he was a woman trapped in a man's body i mean at that time they didn't even have the idea of like something like trans which now looking at it through 2018 eyes you're like Holy shit, talk about how things are going on behind the scenes that people can't even conceive of how to understand. Um, yeah. I think this show is a brilliant time capsule for all that kind of stuff. But do we feel like there's any possibility that this is also maybe them saying, yeah, around this time the country literally started going crazy. Like people just started killing strangers. I, I think we like to do that with, with just about anything. Uh, I also think there's a lot to be said about how once something gets its spot in the public eye, we brighten it up so much that, I mean, you know, the copycat thing is a real, (laughs) real event. I mean, people go, that's how I'm going to get famous. Mm. And it pushes. Mm. And so you have the the Manson incident. And now people are saying, you know, if I do some really violent killing, I'm going to be a name and they're going to have TV shows and books about me. You know, I mean, Watergate pretty much ruined politicians' lives, you know, from what they had because they all of a sudden went from being untouchable to always under the microscope in every way, shape, or form. And that's kind of how we've done it. We've done it with serial killers now so that if you want to be famous, you're a serial killer. You go in, you you got people that are shooting up schools. Hmm. And, you know, every time these stories come on, I mean, one of the things that comes up in our household is if you just stop giving these people's names out, it would go away. Now, wow. do I think serial killers would leave the, you know, the 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 world and, and never pop up again? No, but I think that they would recede to a point that it wouldn't, because really it's just too common now. Hmm. And we do have, you know, mass media, the instant communication, the on-demand for information the wildfire spreads with a lot less gasoline than it did uh, back then. But, you know, as we see sort of later in the season, there is always this sort of, you know, what do they call it? The ghost network. It's sort of like there's always this word of mouth, right? Because they wind up getting funding eventually, right? You know, I mean, when they, the a lot of the show after the first episode, the first episode very much a let's introduce you to the characters, uh, mm-hmm. Let's use this really kick-ass, really creative opening sequence to kind of set the tone. Sort of in a giant analogy of what kind of like most of the beginning half of the season is about. We didn't talk about the opening as far as the title sequence, which I think is a, one of the most brilliant title sequences for a show like this. Mm-hmm. These are the kind of title sequences that I really sort of... Uh, regret that netflix ever came up with that skip intro button it's sort of like like the kind of (laughs) the art and the sort of like really the meticulous choosing of the kinds of images that wind up flashing around in there 
um, to be able to just give people the option to be like, ah, oh, fuck that. You know, it's like, come on, that you need. I I always find out it's like a palate cleanser between episodes. You know what I mean? Like, I want the the theme no. song. I want to ease out of the sickness I just saw in the last one. When you binge watch though, after about the sixth episode, it's like, okay, skip that shit. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> true. It's like, true. Yeah, right. That that uh, the opening title sequence is such a it's i don't know it, it really kind of puts you into that mindset of it kind of eases you down but at the same time it piques the interest of what's coming up next who they mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. when you, when you have that microphone in your face at the very end mm-hmm. it, it, the, the, the 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 it's like who are they going to talk to next or what are they yeah. what be said next so uh that's uh it's it is a good title sequence however <laughs> it's got to go <laughs> Uh, it is it is on the long side you know it is uh it is it's the tedium of being a detective and having to go through the details over and over and over again um and i think if you watch it doesn't the tape recorder the models sort of gets newer and newer during the course of the whole thing like first it's reel to reel and by the end of it it's a different model but um that could just be me i know that happens over the course of the season they constantly get better tech and uh, I found some interest, an interesting story about why that happened too. And I'll uh, let that go when we get to that. But, oh, uh, nice! It's... I like it. See, we're we're kind of seeding. We're giving you all out there some what they call foreshadowing. We're setting up some <laughs> some mind traps for you later. Teasers. Yeah. Uh, very much in the way that I think Debbie is uh, <laughs> is in her yeah. general approach to life. Um, her sort of meeting with Holden in the bar is, I think, one of my favorite meet cutes ever. There's a lot of favorites for this show. This show pulls a lot of stuff to the top. Like, oh, you know, that's a tropey thing, but it was really well done. She's a very interesting mm-hmm. character from the minute we meet her. What kind of vibes do I you really guys like- get from Debbie? Well, she's like she, she she keeps like poking at him. She just keeps poking Holden like, "Why didn't you think about this? Why didn't you think about this?" And she's she's not that much younger than him. She's like tw- she's 24 and what do they say he is? Like 28 or something. He's 29. Okay. But he keeps she just keeps poking him like, "Why haven't you thought about this? You're supposed to be the smart guy in the FBI. Why don't go look at this? Go look at this." And she just like keeps pushing him in these different directions. And I love that I love that about her. You know, I think she is responsible for who he becomes, to be honest with you. Mm. But, uh, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, she is She is more intelligent than what anybody would realize. And that first interaction she has with him, it's almost like she's... Um, it's like, There's like a struggle for dominance between the two. And they're yeah. using that, that uh, psychological ability, you know... She's she's pushing what she knows versus what he knows, and then she plays it off of him, and then he plays it back off of her. So it's almost like a, a mental dominance that they're working towards, and that and that attraction I think is what really kind of draws them in. Uh, it, it all the way to the point where she finally wins, and she just says, "All right, screw it," grabs his tie and pulls him out on the dance floor. Um, that's, <laughs> that's pretty much her saying, "All right, I got you." You're mine. <laughs> she played with him for a while, then she landed her fish. <laughs> I, I think she's a really good example of, you know, you can get myopic when you're down into something to the point where you can't see outside of what you're really trying to either prove or disprove. And she gives him that 
overhead vision that's out of the fog of war and helps him mm-hmm. advance his ideas, clean up his ideas, and sort of keep redirecting him, you know? I mean, she sort of yep. brings his stream back around when he starts to veer or he gets so set on one thing that he can't see all the other things around him. And I think she acts as a good anchoring force and a good sort of vision assistant yeah. on, on what he's trying to develop. You can't it's, see the picture from inside the frame, and she's yeah. definitely looking at it from outside that frame. Yeah, yeah. And how they have uh, such similar interests, and and the ability to talk about, you know, the psychology of things. Yet they're so polar opposite. You know, when we first see his apartment, it's very sterile, it's very stark, it's very simple. And he goes to her place, and like the bed's unmade. It's got like books that have probably been collected and snowballed through the families. So now she's got like a library of dusty books. It's like the perfect, like the hippie going out with an FBI agent, even to the point where she's like, Here, you're going to have to hit the bong if you want to hit this later on. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and he's like, Are you a honey trap? Like, like he's so naive. Like, I've heard about this shit. I've heard they send hot chicks to try to get dudes to smoke, and then I'm going to get arrested. And she's like, Are you fucking kidding me? And I... She, I, I would totally, like, I would love a Debbie. I would love to meet Debbie. Good God. <laughs> She reminds me of Woody Harrelson's wife as well in um, True Detective. So now I'm in this mode where I feel like the whole podcast, I'm going to be pointing out all the parallels I find to True Detective. <laughs> I really think this, to me, this season already thinking about it in those terms is playing out as a season where somebody else guest directed and guest wrote all the episodes. It's like, all right, do True Detective, but do your style. This is the David Finch season of True Detective. <laughs> You know, I, I like, though, that uh, the parallels between these two people, uh, Debbie and, and Ford, just for the simple fact that you, you're seeing a organized. Uh, the parallel is between the types of crime, you know, the disorganized versus the organized. Mm-hmm. And uh, these two characters are like. They demonstrate that organized versus disorganized so well, and, and the more they dive into it, the more you kind of see how that plays in. But uh yeah, it's it's crazy how these two people they put these two characters together, and it it really uh, just the way they act, uh, just the way their lifestyles are, and how they come together, uh, it it kind of shows exactly what what's going on in his head. You can almost see what's going on in his head through the episodes based on their relationship. He likes the challenge of her. You know, I mean, like his first thing was like, you know, you weren't supposed to be, you're supposed to be easier than this. You know what I mean? I did not get the idea that you were going to be a bookworm and that you were going to be, yeah, the jumpsuit. He thought it was like a whole, like, you know, (laughs) you're some young, hot chick in a jumpsuit. I'm like an FBI agent. This is makes sense. And she's like, yeah, no, you don't know about this theory. Like, what are you kidding me? (laughs) You know, it's, uh. It's you could kind of see, I think, the um, and then when Tench comes in, you have basically these sort of like three different perspectives because Tench is kind of like him a couple years down the road with the wife and kids. And it sh- kind of yeah. shows if you're not with that right combination of those, you're not exactly the happiest of people. <laughs> you know, I mean, you put on a good <laughs> face and you go into your routine of teaching class, right? Because he's. He's sort of a bridge. He's he's partly in that old mentality. You know, his class is always the same. He's like, it's like motive, opportunity, and uh, I don't know what the third one was, even though I just it, watched it, the third. Yeah, all that. Yeah, it, but I don't. I didn't get that from Tench. 
I, I didn't see that that aspect from Kent at all. What I saw from Kent was more like uh, what we see now of that in-betweeners between millennials and Generation Xers type. Uh, that the ones that are just on the bridge, they want to be cutting edge, but at the same time, they don't have the youth to be cutting edge. Yeah. <laughs> he's feeling that. He, he It's like he knows that, and he's almost uh, I, feeling like he's almost discouraged by the fact because there's there's a part in there where you see them out on the road, and he's they're teaching a class. Well, Mr. Young Ford is getting all philosophical with these guys, and uh, he cracks a joke to to lighten the mood. You know, Tench tracks the joke to lighten the mood because these guys don't get the whole idea of being cutting edge and young and youthful and excited. And now we're not excited about that. We see the shit today. You're just talking. Yeah. About now, there are some things I want to point out about both uh, Holden and Debbie, but I kind of feel like I want to wait at least till we start talking about episode two or three because I don't want it to, I don't want it to taint anybody who might be watching the show for the first time and listening to us as they go through the episodes. But um, just remind me <laughs> if I don't get to <laughs> anything that you guys feel like, oh, yeah, this must be what he was talking about. Um, but there are just some things about the way... Holden is portrayed at the beginning, the way Debbie is portrayed at the beginning, the way Tench is portrayed when we first meet them, and how all of them sort of go on evolutions throughout the show. But right away, the and, and maybe again, it's because I've watched the whole season, but there are things in this episode even that I'm kind of like, I wonder if this theory, and it's something that doesn't get answered by the end of the season, so I don't know if it necessarily would be spoilery to talk about it now, but I just wonder if we're supposed to so quickly see that Holden could very easily be one of the people that the mind hunters are hunting, you know, like very, like he's mm. got the potential to be uh, somebody like, <laughs> but I'm like, waiting yeah. for that myself. And I see it in episode one, maybe because it's multiple viewings, but I see, I think even in the way they portray his apartment, like that level of, of hyper organization, and then he doesn't even have a TV or a radio. You know, he like sits and listens to classic music and just looks out the window. That is like some fucking Rust Cole, Matthew McConaughey, <laughs> true detective. We like good guy, but fucked up good guy shit right there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, of course you're hunting serial killers. You're like Dexter, just not the serial killer version of Dexter. You're like the good cop version of Dexter. Yeah. That parallel is definitely there. That's kind of where I was going with that yeah. one, organized versus organized. No. Uh, it's it's there. All the all the trademarks of being a serial murderer, serial killer are there. Just that he's using that, and I think that's you know part of the thing that plays into his ability to get on the level. Yeah, yeah. I think you might later later on, or or at least you know, I, I it's just an assumption, but you might see that it's. This mindset, but the non-broken version, is able mm -hmm. to track its its mm -hmm. its like twin because the, the the serial killer there's always that 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 thing that set them down that that path. That's the thing that they keep searching out. The thing that sent them there, and he just never got that catalyst that sent him. Hmm. I think I think he may have. I think we just miss it, and. Uh... Mainly, I'm you know talking about you know when they when they bring up where are you from? Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say now is it something? 
it definitely comes from some stuff that we haven't seen, stuff that happened before the season even started, and I think it gets exacerbated by things that happen over the course of this season. I don't know if there's a lot left to talk about with episode one here before we move on to episode two. Is there anything as far as, do you remember after the first episode, your feeling of, was it, I mean, we already heard that people are binging it, but like, was your expectation met or changed from how you thought about it when you saw the trailer and wanted to get into it? Like by the end of the first episode, how were you feeling about watching the rest of the show? And I was annoyed because now I had to. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because for me it's just always been so easy. I can go, oh no, it's a cop procedural show. I don't have to watch this. I, I'm not into it. It's not my thing. But by the end of episode one, it was like, well, now I got to watch the next one, and yeah. one that, and then and it just it just never lets <laughs> up, you know. So, um, I would say annoyed was my overall mm. uh, general feeling when the episode first when the first episode ended. I was just hoping we got more. Like, I wanted to know more. I just kept wanting to know each episode. I just wanted more. So that's why I kept watching it. And and then now at the end of the first season, after watching it, I'm like, I, like thank goodness we're season two because I just want more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Give me> more. <laughs> There's so much more that to be explored. CJ? Yeah, after linking everything kind of together, I, I am very into the science aspect of it, like I was saying earlier. So uh, seeing where that was going to go, I had to see how they're going to play that out, how they're going to develop that. And then, of course, seeing uh, David Berkowitz brought up in, in earlier in the show, I wanted to see if, you know, how the real life serial killer aspect comes into it. Because you notice pretty, pretty early on that there's a lot of true to life things that are being done. I mean, using Berkowitz, for example, and some sand killings and all that kind of stuff, for example, uh, using that and then obviously with the fictional aspect of Debbie and, and everything else coming mm-hmm. along with it. I it just I wanted to see how they meshed that all together. Now and I had to watch the next I just had to go on. Now I do find that this is one of those shows that when you binge it the episodes do start to kind of blur together and I think that's part of because of the style and the feel. It just it feels like it's one like ten hour movie. Was the first yeah. episode where we did see they were teaching a class on the road and, and this one cop is like, oh yeah, well what about this? This happened and this guy attacked this guy and he like murdered this woman and he shoved a broom handle up her ass. What does that mean? And they were like, we that's don't like is that the next episode? <laughs> yeah. Alright, because I know that's, that's early. Like at the beginning of yeah, that's All the right. beginning of episode two, yeah. So episode one is kind of like the most uh, the least mind huntery episode I guess we get to see. It's the episode before all the real meat starts to come down the road. So after that yeah. huge spoiler I just dropped there, go watch episode <laughs> two and come back and join us. Well, we'll be discussing episode two, but I think this comes to conclusion for our episode one uh, initial phase of our investigation here. It's been a pleasure being uh, Dave the Clone and uh, I guess am I half in the bag directing this uh, rambly, shambly uh, recap of uh, episode one of the first season here. Uh, does anybody have anything to plug? Let's go around the uh, let's go around the horn here. TW, since you got introduced last, why don't you tell us first what you got going on, what you want people to go find on the internet and uh, learn about uh, you. Just had a new book come out, Dead Snapshot Estacada. It just uh, it just dropped on May first, so I think that's book number thirty six or thirty seven. So. All right, um, there, Jack Nicholson yeah. from As Good As It Gets. 
<laughs> Very cool. Everybody go check those out. It's a zombie series that unlike any other, and uh, we are always going to be uh, kind of keeping you abreast of the developments in the ongoing series of the dead novels. And you can always hear Mr. TW on Tangent City as Dr. Paulson. CJ, what's going on? Tell us a little bit about your world of the internet. Well, over at Saloon 7 Studios, we've been kicking off our year two of uh, Grit and Grace TV. So uh, we've been excited about that. We've been, uh, we put out a giveaway. We're going to be giving away some pretty cool swag, some uh, year commemorative uh, T-shirts, things like that. So we're pretty happy about that. So you can check everything out that we're doing over at GritandGraceTV.com. All right. And Miss Earp. I know we have some stuff going on at the Hollow Nine Network. What uh, what do you've got going on as well in your world? Okay, so I've got a few podcasts going to be dropping soon, mostly on Ten Minutes of Purgatory. Uh, then I also am part of the new blog on the network for it's all about comics. So it's called Comic Crush Nine. Yes. Come and check us out. We've got the intro up right now, and I haven't started writing this first month, but I'm in charge of the first month, so. By the end of May, there'll be the first one coming out. Um, it'll be about my obsession with Lazarus. So if you haven't read that, then it'll be about that. You'll have time to get schooled. And uh, yes. we've got a whole bunch of new episodes dropping, and we have our response to Infinity War coming up. That has been uh, thoroughly, thoroughly uh, uh, treaded territory by the folks over on Marvel vs. DC <laughs> who have already been knee-deep in an MCU rewatch when, uh, once the Infinity War was here. And uh, there have been some pieces from other folks in the network. It's going to be a nice, cool you know, celebration episode celebrating the pain of uh, Thanos 2020, hashtag we can lose half. So... Uh, <laughs> Come back and check us out here on the Mindhunter podcast and check out all the other cool stuff we got going on at the Hollow Nine Network. You can always hear about that over at the Terraforma Artist Union as well. David Clone saying, see you at our next meeting. You've been listening to the Hollow Nine Network, bringing you the very best in fan-made media. That's the word hollow, the number nine, I-N-E. Now broadcasting from our new home on the web, hollow9.com, where you can find info on all of our awesome programming as well as the team behind the shows. Leave us your feedback, join in the conversation, and be a part of the action. Find the Hollow Nine Network on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. Rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. Email us at info at hollow9.com or at hollow9podcast at gmail.com. Join in the fun. Hollow 9.